Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. By now, I'm certain you've heard that the historical thriller Oppenheimer opened in theaters all across the country last week. The film has been getting a ton of buzz. It chronicles the life of physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb. I don't know if we can be trusted with such a weapon. But we have no choice. That's Killian Murphy in the lead role as the title character. In 1943, when Oppenheimer was recruited to build atomic bombs for the U.S. military, he was a professor at UC Berkeley. So today on the show, we're going to explore the role that he and the school played in developing the atomic bomb. I'm Olivia Allen Price. This is Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. The full story of J. Robert Oppenheimer's life is a fascinating one with many twists and turns. But today, we're going to focus on his and UC Berkeley's role in developing the atomic bomb. KQED's Leslie McClurg headed to campus to explore. As you're walking across the Berkeley campus, you can turn up Oppenheimer Way, and on your left-hand side is the physics building, which has these beautiful columns You walk up brick stairs to these huge wooden doors. And inside this building were sort of the first experiments, first classes exploring what would eventually become the team that would develop the atomic bomb. 
Oppenheimer arrived in Berkeley in 1929. That's Catherine Carson. She's the chair of the history department at UC Berkeley. He landed here exactly a year after a colleague who might also be familiar, Ernest Lawrence, after whom we've named Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory, Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. Um, Oppenheimer was a theorist. Lawrence was an experimentalist. And together, they both realized that the new frontier of science in, in the 1920s and 30s was going to be the atomic nucleus. Their goal was to break apart the center of an atom to release energy. It was the frontier of nuclear physics. At the time, they had no idea they were laying the foundational science for the atomic bomb. When Oppenheimer wasn't in the classroom, he was enjoying campus life. He was loving it. In his spare time, he was studying multiple languages, including Sanskrit. He thought deeply about literature and philosophy and cared about culture and politics by the 1930s in a way that made him a kind of Renaissance man. And then war clouds started to gather in Europe in the late 1930s. And in 1938, two German scientists released a paper demonstrating that uranium is subject to nuclear fission. That just explodes around the world. Albert Einstein, who had left Germany at this point, drafted a letter to then U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt. And he warned the president that nuclear fission could result in an extraordinary weapon of war. So this happens really quite fast from something that wasn't even imagined a year before to the fears that this could become a war-deciding weapon and that it could be in the hands of the Third Reich. American military leaders begin discussing a secret laboratory in Los Alamos, New Mexico. They envision a desolate place where the best scientists in the world can dedicate themselves to developing a nuclear weapon that can defend democracy. They settled on Oppenheimer as the man to lead the project to design a nuclear weapon. And the University of California is managing the laboratory (laughs) for the federal government. In New Mexico. In New Mexico. Lawrence and Oppenheimer lived with their families on this lone mesa in New Mexico. And the goal of the Manhattan Project was to design two bombs, one from uranium and one from plutonium. It's a crash program. It's intense. It's it's isolated. Everything that's being done in the laboratory or in the seminar room is being tracked against the progress of the war in Europe and the war in the Pacific. Do they know that the Germans are probably doing the exact same thing and it's a race to who does this faster? They're assuming there's a race. The intelligence coming from Germany is really sparse. And under those circumstances, they feel very strongly that the right thing to do has to be to charge ahead. The scientists worked really diligently for several years. At its peak, the Manhattan Project employed 130,000 people, and the government would eventually spend billions of dollars. It was the spring of 1945. The prototype was finally ready. The war in Europe was basically over. Germany surrendered in May. But the war in Japan continued, brutally. And so they continued to work on the Manhattan Project. And then the U.S. government decided on June 16th to test the atomic bomb 
over the New Mexican desert. It was called the Trinity Test. Flash was later calculated to be brighter than a thousand suns. Oppenheimer watched the explosion, and he later described what he saw in a news interview. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. For him, it conjured up a scene from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, where the god Vishnu says, Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that, one way or another. On August 6, 1945, the U.S. government dropped the first atomic bomb in the war. It was made from uranium, and it landed on Hiroshima, Japan. Three different cameras recorded from six miles away these views of the most concentrated release of explosive energy in the history of mankind. Nagasaki followed three days later was a plutonium device. A great towering mushroom effect could be seen going higher and higher and reaching into the stratosphere. There have been there's been a lot of people thinking back and forth over the years, was it really necessary to use atomic bombs to close the war? That's a deeply political and complicated question. In the end, The American leaders who decided to use the atomic bombs were thinking about the fact that they had a weapon that could end the war. And if they didn't use it, how would they explain that choice? And how does the university and the culture of the Bay Area feel about the role of the university in this whole thing. It's only after Hiroshima on August 6, 1945, that anyone outside the cone of secrecy even realizes what the university's contribution is. And because this is the bomb, that marks the end of the war, it is hugely, extraordinarily celebrated. This is the secret weapon that, whether or not it causally ends the war, temporally marks the end of the war. It's a spectacular weapon, and when the news breaks, it's understood that the University of California has put itself in the service of the nation, and Oppenheimer is seen as the father of the bomb. You have to remember that this was six years into one of the bloodiest wars of all time. More than 400,000 American lives had already been lost. This was wartime. This was fighting for democracy and freedom against countries that threatened it and there was a sense that of terrible choices this was still a success but in the months and the years that followed it was much harder for americans to celebrate the attacks 
they see the devastation, the human damage, the deaths, the diseases, the suffering. Photographs of those victims hit newsstands and shocked people. The combined death tally from both Hiroshima and Nagasaki is estimated to be more than 200,000 people. And in the years that followed, many of the survivors battled leukemia, cancer, and other really horrific side effects from the radiation. Oppenheimer never said he regretted the use of the bomb, but he always said that he was very sorry that it had to happen. Over the years, the University of California has continued to support the study and development of nuclear weapons. That's been part of the history of the UC system since that time, and incredibly contested and incredibly impactful, both for the university and for the labs. That was KQED's Leslie McClurg. Worth noting, UC Berkeley's connection to federal weapon laboratories is not nearly as strong today as it was immediately after World War II. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. The show is produced by Amanda Font, Christopher Beal, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Additional support from Jen Chien, Katie Springer, Cesar Saldana, and Holly Kernan. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hi there, I'm Randa Dilfettah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.